Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Thank you so much to Kula for sponsoring today's episode. So I'm a very, very committed sunscreen user, but I think I've also gotten to the point where I'm like, I can't believe how many layers of shit I put on my face in the morning. Same, Erica. This is why I can't like do our beauty routines anymore because for, even though people are always asking for updated ones, because it's just like, and then I put another layer of slime on my face. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this is one of the things that is really remarkable about Kula's sun silk drops, which are like this fan favorite. They're these sheer drops that provide lightweight, broad spectrum SPF 30 protection and you can put a couple of drops in them in your moisturizer yes. or in like whatever else you're already putting on your face without having to like glob on another thing. I love this and I wish it for every beauty product in my arsenal because the other thing I will say that is so genius about this is it used to be before these came along that it was me putting sunscreen on, leaving a sheen of white on my face and then needing to put something Hiding else to co- on. cover up this. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So the drops are so genius and wonderful. Kula pioneered healthy sun protection. Like you all know them because they came on the scene as the big SPF player that made sun protection kind of cool. Now they're launching this whole new organic skincare collection that supports your skin's natural barrier to help fight modern day skin aggressors like blue lights, toxins, dry air, and even your lifestyle. And it occurred to me that these are like also all of the things that we're all suffering from now that we're stuck inside all of the time. Like we're in front of our computers more than we ever were. My skin is so dry from having the heater on all of the time. Kula has unwittingly introduced like pandemic skincare, basically. It's your skin's first line of protection that keeps moisture and nutrients in and modern day environmental and digital stressors out. So in addition to the sun drops, there's the Great Barrier Cream Fortifying Moisturizer, which harnesses the healing power of the sea with organic ingredients like sea kelp and blue algae to boost hydration and help strengthen your skin's natural barrier. They also have the Vital Rush Skin Renewal Serum, which revitalizes stressed skin with an organic blend of plant power ingredients, combining the energizing properties of goji berry with vitamin-rich camu camu extract. These concentrated nutrients help renew fatigued skin. This stuff really works. We are really excited to be partnering with this brand. We hope you will check them out. And if you want to give your skin what it's really craving, go check out the new Kula Organic Skincare on Kula.com. They give you 10% off your first order with the code a thing or two. So that's Kula.com. Use code a thing or two for 10% off your first order. Hi there. We wanted to take a second before we get into this episode to thank you for listening. We really, really love getting to do this show and your support, whether it's by subscribing, leaving us a review, or supporting our advertisers is what makes it possible. We are ridiculously grateful. And I'm sorry that I'm going to do a whole like people are asking influencer energy thing here, but sometimes people do in fact ask us if there are other ways that they can support us. And the answer is yes. Um, Our secret menu membership program is a once weekly members only newsletter that costs four bucks a month and your first month's fee goes straight to charity. We cover all sorts of topics. We're talking shopping, gifting, food, entertainment, even advice, and of course, snacks. You can sign up for it all at a thing or two hq.com to start receiving it. And you'll even get access to all the back issues you missed. And if you've made it this far without subscribing to our free Monday newsletter, well, what are you doing? Go ahead and rectify that also at a thing or two hq.com. If all of that sounds like too much effort, we get it. Maybe just take 15 seconds to go smash some stars for us in the rating section of Apple Podcasts. That helps a ton, truly. Thank you. Now on to the show.
Welcome to A Thing or Two, a deep dive into stuff we think more people should know about. I'm Claire Mazer. And I'm Erica Cerullo. If you want more where this came from and want to support us in general, head to a thing or two hq.com and sign up for Secret Menu, which will get you weekly access to members-only content. To share your thoughts on this episode or anything at all, leave us a voicemail at 833-632-5463 or DM us on Instagram at a thing or two HQ. And as a reminder, we offer free ad reads to Black-owned businesses. So hit us up at podcast at a thing or two HQ.com if you're interested. Hi. Hi. We have an exciting guest today. One of our oh favorite writers, our Eric Thomas. This is big. This is this, big. This is very big. Um, before we're going to talk about toddlers another another prominent topic uh, huge and topic. one and one top and one one favorite toddler in yeah. particular even yeah uh cameron cameron, cameron. mazer yeah wow 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 a um, newly minted two-year-old by the way he's like a new toddler i yeah. would say yeah. is that when it starts too do you think i mean i think according according to like the top like the parenting books the the parenting books about toddlers kind of start around one because that's when they start to walk mm-hmm. and like have a bit of an attitude no one-year-old's a baby yeah no one-year-old is a baby i still counted in months i don't think it's a toddler personally <laughs> great point great point i mean cam definitely like became a two-year-old in the last like couple of weeks to months like it, he he's solidly in the terrible twos what does that mean for you um He's completely irrational and unpredictable, I would say, and like often a jerk. And it's interesting because I dreaded this stage intensely and in fact, really tried not to be around toddlers when I had an infant. Like I had a couple of friends when Cam was born who were like, I could come by and like bring my kid. And I was just like, I I can't handle it. You don't want to see it. You don't want to look into the future. Yeah, I was so terrified of becoming a parent and then it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. And so then I was just so terrified of becoming a parent of a toddler because it just seemed like (laughs) absolute mayhem. It was just like, and I didn't understand how parents of toddlers acted like everything was okay. It was like, your your child's insane. Like, I can't handle Like, what? And like, similarly to my expectations around becoming a parent of a newborn, it is like just as awful, but not as painful as I thought it would Mm -hmm. be. Which, And I think, you know, again, it all comes down to managing expectations, but it's like, yes, it's insane and like embarrassing and frustrating, but also it happens gradually and you get used to it and you have some perspective about it. And also it's your kid and you love your kid and your kid is also amazing sometimes. So it sort of balances it out. What are the annoying parts or the most annoying parts? Like completely absurd and irrelevant defiance. Like, why is that the thing that you have (laughs) decided to defy me on? Like last night we were FaceTiming with my parents and I was obviously trying to teach him manners. And it was, he said hi to my, I said, say hi to Paca Steve because that's what he calls my parents. Okay, say hi to Paca Barbara. No, I don't want (laughs) to say hi to Paca Barbara. You need to say hi. You need to say hi. You need to say hi. We're not like reading stories. We're not doing it. We're not doing it. You need to say hi. That's manners. That's being polite. Refuse to do it. I said, fine, you're going to bed without stories. Through a absolute fit. I was like, do you want to call Paca Barbara and say you're sorry? Yeah. Calls Paca Barbara. Sorry. Still refused to say hi, but was willing to say he was Um, sorry. um, Why? Why? Like it just doesn't make absolutely no. No, it doesn't. And it's all a control thing. It's all a control thing. It's trying to assert that is, is the philosophy from the parenting book perspective that he's trying to assert his, the fact that he's an autonomous being. Yes, absolutely. And by the way, like I kind of like all of my memories of childhood are just wishing I had more control than I did. So I get it. Like, I feel like that went on until I was basically 18 or like, (laughs) and well beyond that, frankly. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So I relate. Um, It's just so dumb and frustrating and yeah, it, I mean, it's... And you're like, take a stand about something that matters. Sir. Yes, exactly. Like, <laughs> truly this anything. just doesn't matter. I'd like um, to talk about the food for a second because mm-hmm. for a while he was eating like a Mediterranean fisherman. It was like yeah. mackerel and aged cheese. And for and we, you and I went out to run errands once and you're like, I got to get Cam this swordfish putanesca. <laughs> and I was like, oh, sure. I got it. He loved it. Is he... How has his eating changed? It's changed in that like much like everything else, he's wildly inconsistent and unpredictable about his taste. So it's like he really loves something one day, won't eat it at all the next. Mm-hmm. Something And like, it's this isn't like they say with toddler eating, you should like in, continue to introduce things to them that they don't want because like sometimes they'll taste 
they'll taste it one day and not the next, or it takes three tries for them to warm up to something. But like, it's all over the map with him. It doesn't, it's not like, oh, he tasted it three times and now he's into it. It's just like, he tasted it once. He loved it. He tasted it second time. He hated it. Third time, get it off my plate. Like it just, it doesn't matter. Is there anything that he does consistently like? Mac and cheese is like most of the time, like okay. I would say 90% hit rate. Any overpriced fruit loves, like absolutely <laughs> loves and demands. Anything out of season, really. Blueberries, raspberries, <laughs> pome- like preceded pomegranate. He's, if, he's, if it's expensive, he wants it and he wants a ton of it. He was super into kumquats and gooseberries for a minute. All of which is obviously my fault because like I should have never just introduced these to him, but no. I, I'll be in the you market. You should just be like, no, no, goose, gooseberries are adult, for adults only. Exclusive. Of course, but I get this thing when I'm in the grocery store where I'm like, oh, I'm like want to expose him to all yeah, sorts yeah, of yeah, flavors yeah, yeah, and yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. exotic foods of different colors and shapes and whatever. So I give it to him one time and then he's like, mommy, gooseberry, I want gooseberry, I want gooseberry. And I'm like, who are you? Get out of here. The monster you created. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's also been into dates lately and really demanding about that. Love. Um, I mean, that I'm into, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are his hobbies these days? What is mm. he really into? Ballet. Loves yeah. ballet, which has been fun for all involved. Um, and he's like, into it, like, like he takes ballet, but then he also, we went to the Met with him and he was super into the Degas paintings. We have, oh, so this extends beyond the practice of oh, yeah. dance. No, he's into the culture in general. Has he seen <laughs> Center Stage? Not yet, but he, <laughs> but he will love it, I am sure. He I can't imagine not liking it. He has the uh, Misty Copeland book, Bunheads, also known as Ballet Book in our home. Mm, mm, super mm, into mm, that. Mm. Loves that book. I'm really curious to see if it continues, like if this is something that, because obviously ballet at his age is does not resemble what we all know as ballet. So I'll be interested to see if this goes on. But like, I always expect him to fight and say like, I don't want to put on the outfit because he's got a whole outfit involving tights and a leotard. And I, I remember like resisting putting it on after asking my yeah. mom to sign me up for ballet, but he's always just willingly puts it on and is psyched to go. I have a niece who's super into ballet and she has been, she's five now and she has been for the last couple of years. And she like four or five is like pretty talented, you know, again, yeah. four or five, yeah. but she watches a lot of ballet on YouTube. Like interesting. That is, yeah. She watches. Oh, I got to show like, that to him. Yeah. A ton of like the Nutcracker on YouTube. I've never, that didn't even occur to me. I got it. I got to try that with yeah. him. He'll be into it. Yeah. I think ABT also has a pretty like populated YouTube account. That's a good idea. The only YouTube I've ever tried with him is when he was going through a really big polar bear phase. I was like, okay, we'll watch some YouTube videos of polar bears. And the problem with kids watching nature documentaries is they all involve like super bloody carnage. So you actually yes. can't show them that stuff. No, like, I don't, no, no. I'm sure there are ones, especially for kids, but I was like, no, we're not watching about polar bears anymore. You can maybe try. I don't think, I wonder, I can't remember. I don't think so. There's a PBS one that I, maybe I told you about when I watched it called Remarkable Rabbits. Um, <laughs> Thomas has wanted to watch it like multiple times during the pandemic. Big surprise because it's like basically a warm blanket. Um, yeah. And I think because it is about a prey animal, mm. there is a lot less of okay. like, let's watch this animal die, right. you know? Okay. Because well, it out- wouldn't be the one doing the killing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we'll check out Remarkable Rabbits. That's a yeah, good idea. Yeah, you know, classic PBS vibe. Thank you so much to Function of Beauty for sponsoring today's episode. I keep thinking lately about how I feel like the future of all things beauty is customizable. And it was why Mm. I was really excited to partner with Function of Beauty because it seems like the more and more skincare and hair care and beauty and wellness all continue to be such a thing for us that what's happening is we all are finding out our very specific needs and wants and desires. Like my skin's sensitive to this, or I respond really well to that. And like, I, I love this product, but I hate the smell. And it does just feel like customizable beauty is what we're all pretty soon going to take for granted. And what I love is that future of beauty is sort of like the pioneer in the space. They are the leading customizable beauty brand. And they do make it so that you can just be insanely picky about what you want. They have, you know, we went through their hair care ordering process. And it's like, do you want this ingredient? Do you want that ingredient? What do you want it to smell like? Or do you want no And like, smell? how much do you want it to yes, smell? Yes. It's really, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's for people who are high maintenance when think they're low maintenance. That's right. It really, spe- it speaks to me. It speaks to the part of me that says, I just, I'm not high maintenance. I just know how I like to live, you know? <laughs> 
Function of Beauty is the world leader in customizable beauty, offering precise formulations for your hair specific needs. Here's how to get started. First, you take a quick but thorough quiz to tell you a little bit about your hair type, you know, straight, wavy, curly, coily, and hair goals such as to lengthen, volumize, control oil. And because your hair changes with the season, you can change your hair goals before every shipment, which again, talk about getting to be picky. Next, you choose your color and your fragrance, or you can go fragrance and dye free completely. Plus, subscribers get access to more exclusive colors and scents. Then, Functions team determines the perfect blend of ingredients, bottles your formula, and delivers it to you along with fun seasonal stickers and all the instructions you need. There are over 54 trillion possible formulations, which like makes our head spin. And Function of Beauty has over 50,000 five-star reviews. Every ingredient Function of Beauty uses is vegan and cruelty-free, and they never use sulfates and parabens. You can also go completely silicone-free. And Function of Beauty offers completely personalized formulas for body and skin care too, so you can customize your beauty routine from head to toe. Never buy off the shelf just to be disappointed ever again. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash a thing or two to take your quiz and save 20% off your first order. That applies to their full range of customized hair, skin, and body products. Go to functionofbeauty.com slash a thing or two to let them know you heard about it from our show and get 20% off your order. Functionofbeauty.com slash a thing or two. Hey guys, I'm Maddie Orlando. And I'm Lauren Orlando. As you probably guessed, we're sisters. And we're also co-hosts of the podcast, The Sister Diary. Every week, we let our listeners into real-life conversations like the ones that we have at home. We have an eight-year age gap, so we always have a different perspective on things, but that makes it pretty fun. We talk about navigating life, growing up on social media, and pretty much anything else that we find interesting. You can catch a new episode of The Sister Diary every Friday. Okay, speaking of Cam mm-hmm. and getting dressed and all of mm-hmm. that, you told me he's been expressing opinions about fashion. It's and I'd like to hear so them. annoying because it's like the What's one his thing personal I have. style. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, I at first when it started happening, it seemed to be really color-based and like you yeah. really only wanted to wear red or only wanted to wear green. Lately, that seems to have gone out the window and it's really just a control thing, which is comforting in that like maybe I will get to dress him how I want to dress him for a little bit longer. But a lot of the control centers around what socks he's wearing. Um, and he hates an exposed ankle. Hates an exposed ankle. Is always trying to pull his pants down when his ankle are showing. Same with pulled up like a scrunched up sleeve. He would be a miserable J. Crew model. He wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> like he would be a total disaster. He's got to have his sleeves down and his, his socks and his ankles. Yeah, Whoa. exactly. He's got to have it all covered up. I have been trying to get more into color lately for him, like on his behalf. He seems to be excited about it. If I really, my one sort of like foolproof thing is if I really want him to wear something that he doesn't wear, I tell him that his cousin gave it to him because she, he thinks she's just like the hottest shit. So I'm like, (laughs) I'm just like, this is a present from her. And he's like, I'll put it on. I'll do it. If it's for her, I'll do it. Yeah. I'm in. His other like personality trait that he's super into right now that I think you've been on the receiving end is he's really into giving compliments. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The, and the one that's been coming up a lot lately that I really love is he, he'll be just like sitting on my lap looking at me and he'll go, I like your eyebrows, mommy. <laughs> I like your fair, eyebrows. Which to be clear is the compliment you've been waiting for your whole life. So like true. it's really the only compliment you've ever wanted. It's so true. Unfortunately, I've seen him give the same compliment to Chris. But I'm like, <laughs> whose eyebrows are you know perfectly fine for the record. But I'm just like, this is not specific to me. But I'm like, where did you, you come feel up less with special? This? Yeah. I like your eyebrows, mommy. And he looks really intently at it at you before he says it. And then he does it with like so many random things. Like, I like your necklace. I like your colors. I like <laughs> I like your colors is really good. Yeah. And uh, he gets confused between I like your and between your and my kind of lot. So it'll be like, I like my earrings, mommy. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so he has, you know, I, I don't mean to make him sound like an absolute terror. He's got his bright spots too, you know. When he's a grouch, how do you deal with it? Mm, okay. This is interesting. So the, the thing that all the toddler books say, or like the toddler books that I have read, yeah. um, and the one that I like really forced myself to read and did like is called no drama discipline. It was like so effing boring, but I think it's more or less sound logic. But they say just distract. Like they're too, you can't reason with them when they're freaking out. So you have to just like try to get their attention on something else. So my thing is always to say like, 
oh, did you leave your good mood outside? Should we go find it? Like, let's go look for your good mood outside because I figured that the change of scenery and also like that completely preposterous idea that your idea might, your good mood might be outside, that will be enough to distract him. And usually like the change of scenery is enough. And so that is like a go-to. I, I don't like that. I don't abuse it, obviously, because, you know, he'll, he'll be on to me eventually, but it's like a go-to, especially when it's nice out. I get him out of his crib yesterday for his nap and he's pointing outside, like saying something's outside, something's outside. And he's still at the point with his talking where it takes me four or five times of him saying something to understand what he's saying. Finally, I realize he's saying, there's a good mood out there. There's a good mood <laughs> like pointing down at the sidewalk below our place. And I was like, and then what do you think he saw? I have no idea. And then he kept being like, there's a good mood out there. There's a good mood out there. I want to go out there and get the good mood. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do it. Let's go find your good mood out there. Let's make it happen. It's remarkable. I'm into this. I'm very interested in this. I want to hear how Cam feels about more ballet content and to see if this hobby holds up at all. Um, I'll keep you posted. Yeah. All right. Should we bring our guest on? Let's do it. So we are here today with our Eric Thomas, who is a national bestselling author of Here For It, a book that we both loved. He also co-authored a biography on of Representative Maxine Waters called Reclaiming Her Time. He had a column for Elle for years called Eric Reads the News. He has a newsletter that we love. He writes plays. He's working on more TV and YA projects. And we just think he's like, I don't know, one of the funniest oh, humans. He's absolutely one of the funniest humans, just like total fangirl status between the two of us and one of our favorite writers for sure. Let's talk to Eric. Eric, we are so excited to have you on the show. We have been huge fans for such a long time. We definitely used to sit at our computers at our old job and read each other your articles from Elle like way back in the day. <laughs> Claire, when I told, I didn't tell you this, when I told Thomas, my husband yesterday that we were having Eric on, he was like, <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I, I think he's like maybe a bigger celebrity in our house than like globally, but like, <laughs> I'll take uh, it. <laughs> I love that. The number of people who have said to me, like, you know, like so many people are like, I read your stuff and then I'm like, I'm cracking up. And then my husband's like, what are you reading? So I feel like there's like, I'm glad that your husband like knows what's going on. Cause so many people are like, who is this random person that you're always <laughs> laughing at? So it's great. That's really gratifying. <laughs> Your writing is the definition of laugh out loud funny. Like it just produces the loudest chuckles and it is so satisfying <laughs> and also so like cathartic and therapeutic and just so, so wonderful. Oh, thank you. So we wanted to start kind of at the beginning of your writing career and just get like a little bit of that flavor before we ask you all sorts of sort of more annoying questions. Um, <laughs> when you started writing for an audience, which was, you know, your L column being one of the things that was part of that, how did you think about writing for readership versus sort of writing for social media or just like writing on the internet generally? Um, or did you think about having a readership? Well, the interesting thing about the slide into writing for Elle and really did feel like sort of a slide is that, you know, it started online. It started because my editor like saw a viral Facebook post that I wrote. And so the voice that she was looking for with the column was kind of the same voice that I used when talking to an audience on Facebook at the time that I mostly knew. Yeah. At that point I had, you know, I don't know, a couple thousand followers on Facebook, mostly, mostly were people I'd met at some point or like was engaged with. And then a couple people who sort of trickled in friends of friends, whatever. So the familiarity um, that I used to write on, on social media about, you know, politics or um, whatever random thing happened to me that day, I kind of carried with me into L. And I think if I'd approached L and said, I want to write a column that's about politics and pop culture and takes a humorous view, I think I would have psyched myself out of being familiar and I would have tried to frame it as, and this isn't a knock on any other sort of format, but I think I would have thought people want sort of formal satire or people want something that feels a little bit more removed. Um, for a long time, I voted using, for like right initially, I think I used I a lot in the column. And then I, for at one point, I was like, what am I doing? I'm a journalist. And so I just who stopped using this? I. <laughs> right, yeah. I was like, who's the I here? And so I stopped. And then I was like, okay, but we're all friends. Um, yeah. So it really, really saved me. It really made the column something that I think I would not have given myself permission to do because I was like, we're all just having a laugh. <laughs> you know, 13 million readers uh, you know, a month on L. I'm like, yeah, we're all just hanging out at brunch. <laughs> 
Elle <laughs> is one of the like most classic mainstream women's magazines and classic mainstream women's magazines tend to be female. They tend to be white. They tend to be heteronormative. None of which you, you don't yeah. fall into any of those categories. What right. was your reaction when you got asked to write for Elle? Well, it's interesting. I think, I don't think I really thought through the demographic differences. One, because I think a lot of the audience online, a lot of my friends and a lot of the sort of people who had sort of drifted into my orbit kind of fell a little bit outside of the L audience, but kind of like on the, on the, the periphery, you know, like maybe like a lot of times it was uh, women, a lot of times it was uh, particularly white women, a little bit beyond the, the age demographic that L at that point was really targeting. But one of the other things is my, the editor, the site director at the time, Leah Chernikov said to me, she's like, I want to open this magazine up and I want it to feel like the best brunch you've ever been to. And so that gave me um, a lot of permission, but it was a real surprise. It, and, but it really paved the way for everything else that I've written because so many people would write to me and say like, I am nothing like you, but I think we're best friends. And I'm like, great, that's my, that's the objective of life um, for me is to go around trying to make friends at my day job. Um, I think I just like, I was like, I work from home, but I just really miss hanging out in the break room. And so I just treated <laughs> it like a break room. But like, yeah, it's interesting as I, you know, for a while I was just doing, uh, what, what is the word? Freelance. Um, I miss, I, <laughs> what is that obscure term? I know, God. <laughs> in my ivory tower over here. What is it, the thing where you hustle and you send invoices? And an you invoice? make money. What um, is, you, know, you know. And you have to pay for your own health insurance, that one. <laughs> right. Yeah. So for a while, I was freelancing while I was like working another job. And I was laid off from my job. And uh, my my editor found out about it. And she, Leia, found out about it. And she was like, well, let me see if I can like, figure out a way to get you on staff here. And when I became a part of the staff, a senior staff writer, my purview kind of expanded and I started writing more um, about different subjects. And then I sort of thought to myself, like, what am I doing here? Like everybody on staff is like, the staff is, is made completely of women, the, the digital uh, staff is, and they're also talented and they were firing on so many different cylinders, just sort of knowing about digital media and the world and politics and beauty and fashion and entertainment. And I was like delightfully intimidated. And I was like, I have to step my game up because these readers are expecting something more. And that was kind of the first time I realized that it wasn't just me playing this little sandbox, that I was part of a larger brand that um, has, you know, a hundred years of a legacy. Thank you so much to Sakara for sponsoring today's episode. I was texting with a friend the other day who was like sending me some really delicious pistachio cake recipe. And I was like, Ooh. I'm like saving this for later because I need, I'm like taking a break from sugar this month because mm. I ate so much sugar during the holiday season. Yes. Um, and like by holiday season, I mean like every day in November and December, um, like every single day and like most meals in that way. It was like, well, you know, it's like 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. I don't see why I wouldn't have just a little something sweet. I went so much harder at the sweets this year than others because of the fact that we were stuck at home and couldn't see family. It felt like that was my way of compensating was being Claire. like, this is the celebration. Same. Yeah. Same, same, same. Um, and so I've been excited to like be able to be like, okay, what actually do I eat that makes my body feel good instead of what <laughs> do I eat that like controls my brain and makes me be like, where do I get more sugar and how soon do I get more right. sugar? Which is one of the things that we just love about Zakara. It's like, you don't have to think about it and it actually makes you feel good. Oh my gosh. I feel like we've both been eating healthier this month. And I had said to you, both the best and worst thing about it is that it's such a stark reminder that what you eat has such a big impact on how you feel. Like, oh, when I eat healthier, I am happier. Well, like, which is like a sad, a sad reality. <laughs> there is the joy and the rub both. Um, Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. Their organic ready to eat meals are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and they are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion and get your skin glowing. The menu changes weekly so you'll never get bored and it's delivered fresh anywhere in the US. 
Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. I actually just ordered a box of their energy bars because I get so sick of like all of those bars. And for some reason, I never get sick of theirs. Experience the power of plants as medicine with their new best-selling metabolism super powder. Made with organic raw cacao, it works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. Sakara has received rave reviews from Vogue, Goop, The New York Times, and more. And right now, Sakara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when they go to sakara.com slash a thing or two or enter code a thing or two at checkout. That's sakara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash a thing or two to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash a thing or two. How did you feel like you needed to change in response to that recognition? Well, when I felt like I had to go back and live my whole life over again, like I had to go to like, <laughs> like I was like, I gotta, go to, I gotta go to grad school. I gotta become an intern. I gotta become like Chandler Bing, you know, like go back and be, <laughs> be an intern. Um, but I did feel like this opportunity to read as widely as the readership of L reads. And I think I got very lucky that the kind of the things that I do read and the thing, the references that I make really tapped into a certain segment of the population, like people uh, who were reading my column, I definitely appreciated a Chandler Bing reference. Um, but I was also like, you know, a lot of, a lot of our readers were very interested in uh, Selena Gomez. A lot of our readers are very interested in Taylor Swift. A lot of our readers are very interested in what's going on with, uh, you know, Dua Lipa right now. Um, and so, and, and not to mention like, uh, fashion and beauty. And I was like, I want to make sure that I'm not letting them down by having gaps in my knowledge. And, you know, my editors really met me in the middle with that. Like, for instance, Christina Rodolfo, who was the beauty director at the time, assigned me a piece to write about Fenty Beauty. And she was like, you know, they're, they're, uh, I don't know, we were just like batting ideas back and forth. And I was like, well, I don't, you know, I, I don't wear makeup, but I like, uh, so I'm very interested in sort of figuring out like how to do a regular, like just a day beat. Um, so Fenty sent me a whole bunch of makeup and I figured out how to do a day beat. And that was a real, and I discovered that like lip gloss tastes amazing, um, yeah. which I didn't, <laughs> didn't know. You I was had like, no idea. I was like, everyone's walking around with like tasty lips. This is great. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, you know, I was able to take my perspective and not treat it as central, but hopefully contribute to the way that the readers sort of saw and understood the world um, and the way that they saw and understood the things that they were most interested in. I started writing more about Taylor Swift. I'm, a huge, I'm actually a, a big Taylor Swift fan, but I, I had not really sort of thought deeply about her. Our readers think deeply about Taylor Swift. And, you know, I went to Fashion Week and that was, to be honest, deeply uncomfortable for me because I was like, everybody here uh, is like, who is this weirdo wearing corduroy pants? Um, but they definitely thought you were all the more important because of that, because you did not look like anybody else. You didn't <laughs> yeah. feel the need to dress like everybody else. They were like, he's legit. Yeah, he has you. genuine power. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. They're like, yeah, he definitely looks like he rolled out of bed and can't put an outfit together. He must be the editor of she, like some yeah. <laughs> yeah, fancy French magazine. But, you know, that was empowering as well. Like I went to the Christian Siriano show and I sat across from, there was a line of, of, of people in the front row. I was in the second or third row sitting in somebody else, uh, sitting in the fashion director's seat. It wasn't, they didn't give it to me. And uh, it was like Vanessa Williams, Gina Gershon, I believe, Patricia Clarkson. I was like, what is this Netflix movie I need to watch right now? <laughs> um, and then Leslie Jones. And Leslie Jones did her whole Leslie Jones thing. She screamed yeah. through the whole <laughs> runway show, screaming at people, screaming at Coco Roca. And I was like, this is astounding. And so that was my way in. Leslie being Leslie gave me permission to be me and then write about this this uh, this fashion show in a way that felt respectful of the the project um, and of the readership, but also genuine to my experience, which was, you know, shock and awe, <laughs> like really just like shock and and befuddlement, um, but also awe, you know. Yeah, I love that so much. I it the fashion show thing sort of brings up an, a question that I had when you were talking about researching all of these references, which is like, I think no matter 
how many articles I read about Dua Lipa, I would feel, I would not feel confident making a joke about her or making a reference because it's just like- Feeling like you have like a genuine understanding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would just feel like everybody would know I was faking it yeah, yeah, um, yeah. because I still don't really know who she is. And I'm just wondering how you get <laughs> that. How do you Please. get confident about making yeah, a Dua Lipa exactly. joke? Exactly. That's the how question. How do you feel you know enough about Dua Lipa? That's a really good question. I think a lot of it is, is reading, like Twitter is a really great educator in, in the way that fans understand the people that they're fans with. And like, you know, fan culture on Twitter can be vociferously positive, but also if, you know, if your favorite crosses you in some way, the fans turn against you. And so reading... Uh, reaction really taught me kind of the inside language. And I think a lot of, for me, comedy, and I, I think in some way, I don't consider myself a journalist, but I think writing in a sort of digital um, vertical uh, of, you know, of any sort is about learning the inside language and being able to use it in a way that doesn't sound like you're a tourist so much as you are getting fluency. And so my, you know, to really stretch a uh, linguistic premise, like my Dua Lipa education was like taking Dua Lipa Duolingo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I need that. That's what I need. <laughs> yeah, 100%. You also, <laughs> you also tackled the world of politics, which some might say is even more complicated yeah. than the world of Dua Lipa. Yeah. And how did, you, how did you think about tone, especially dealing with the political landscape that you were dealing with, um, that we are still dealing with, in fact? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, my my tone changed, I think, I hope, um, over the course of the four years that I wrote for L.com. Initially, I was sort of like treating politics and politicians in the same as sort of part of this entertainment landscape. And um, I tried to be responsible. I never wrote about the soon to be former president um, until until the election. And after that, I was like, I guess I have to. Um, but it did seem to me that the way that our politicians are trying to engage with us can often be in the same tenor as entertainers. And so yeah. when politicians would do sort of interesting things. Um, bits, and not, really. Bits, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. know, whether it's, uh, you, know, you know, Tim Kaine or, uh, or later on, uh, you know, AOC or, you know, Representative Maxine Waters, who I wrote about sort of, that's what most people sort of know me from. I was responding to personality. I think over the last two years, however, everything is sort of darkened. Um, well, it's always been dark, but like the light has gotten a little less light. And and so it has been harder to treat personality as isolated from policy and from oppression. And so I sort of stepped away from writing about personality and sort of if I was writing about politics, I was writing more sort of straight satirically. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I, 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 I loved the job um, very much. And I, you know, if I hadn't moved on to working in a different field, I, I, I would still be doing it. But I'm, I'm actually kind of really grateful that I don't have to sort of figure out how to sort through what looks more and more like wreckage um, yeah. yep. to figure out how to be funny. You know, when I wrote about the seeing... Uh, seeing a, a black CNN reporter arrested live on television during George Floyd protests, I sort of didn't, there, you know, there was no jokes to be made for that. And so I just wrote about my experience as another black person who sort of has this unhappy like awareness that it doesn't matter how good you are, what your credentials are, real or imagined, you're always going to be seen as somebody who is, uh, is less than or a threat. And And that was very well received, but I didn't feel like, I needed to pivot my column to talking about my experience in that way every day. Um, I didn't feel yeah. like that was responsible either. Thank you so much to Sweaty Betty for sponsoring today's episode. So since we started working with Sweaty Betty, I realized that their power leggings are the first ones I reach for and I get like bummed when they're dirty. The um, ultimate the ultimate compliment about any like basics item, right? A hundred percent. And where you're like, well, maybe I'll wear them one more time before I wash mm -hmm. them. Just <laughs> I don't have to like- Or you're with it. Like, yeah, I'm going to fish it out of the dirty laundry and yeah, that's going to happen. Maybe that's happened before. They're only slightly damp. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting. There's uh, a color uh, way that I'm that I've been like waiting to come back and stock the Greyhound's tooth, and I like have checked on it twice this week, Claire. So that's how wow. I feel about these leggings. They have been like such a thing in the workout gear world for years, and we just hadn't tried them. I don't know, like what dummies we are. Um, but the sweaty Betty power leggings have these expertly placed seams and squat tested compression fabric that sculpts your butt to be, you know, the best butt it can be. Um, they're quick drying. So if you pull them out of the laundry, like (laughs) maybe (laughs) they're not damp, (laughs) they're not damp. Um, they have lots of pockets on the back and on the sides. What else, Claire? Um, they are high waisted, which for me is huge. I recently just got rid of any legging in my collection that doesn't have a high waist because I just don't need that in in my life. They have an adjustable drawstring. All the seams are perfectly placed in that way where you're just like, wow, I really have been working out, but like unclear if it's because you've been working out or because these leggings just look really good. The (laughs) fabric on the Sweaty Betty Power Leggings is opaque. You're never worried about your underwear showing during your squat session. And they come in so many colors and patterns, which is key because Sweaty Betty informs us that many people like you, Erica, apparently (laughs) come back to buy a second pair of these because they are so good and do come vouch. They do come in a lot of like fun colors and prints, which is nice. Because you deserve to look amazing before, during, and after your workout, go to sweatybetty.com slash a thing or two and use our code a thing or two at checkout to get 20% off your purchase. This is the best offer Sweaty Betty has available anywhere. So don't go Googling around. It's spelled S-W-E-A-T-Y-B-E-T-T-Y.com slash a thing or two. Use sweatybetty.com slash a thing or two. Promo code a thing or two. How have you thought about how much of yourself to give in your columns or in your book here for it or in your newsletter? And has that changed too or shifted? I think about that a lot. With the columns, I was I tried to be very protective because ultimately the column, the objective was comedy. And I had to ask myself, how much am I willing to open a vein for comedy? Um, and when things were serious, how much am I willing to... And like, I think, you know the as as you all know like the the trend that i was coming on the tail end of was the sort of the the all powerful personal essay on the internet where people you know were sort of just saying this is the thing that happened to me and maybe there's a little uh, the best of them have some sort of larger research and connects to like sort of larger points but most of them don't most of them are like this is the thing that happened to me this is what i think now you know i think those are important but i think representation can often f- often sort of glide right into tokenization or even sort of this, um, I don't quite, I can't quite pull the word, but it's this, this feeling of being gawked at by like Mm. showing people I'm like, this is come look at this suffering, you know, Mm -hmm. which to me also indicates that you are presuming a reader who is not you and does not understand your intersecting identities and that does the reader a disservice. And I think that also does you a disservice because you continue to place yourself in a position of otherness. It's a little sideshow. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So with the column, I was like, I'm not going to open a vein, you know, except on rare occasions where I'm like, I, I have a platform and this can, this might be able to do something. You f- when you felt like you couldn't not. Yeah. Yeah. And with the book, um, and I think with the newsletter as well, I think the newsletter and the book have the same project, which are more sort of this meld between a, a blog with more structure. I don't feel like it's like, hey guys, this is what happened to me today. Um, but it's uh, it's memoir. And my memoiristic goal is to process things privately and then figure out what the what the comedy nuggets are in there and present those. And so the hard things in my life, for the most part, you know, you don't get to see. And there were things I didn't put in the book because I was like, well, uh, I don't think I'm finished uh, processing that one. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that um, maybe maybe next volume. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, the line for me. Do you have any, I cannot think of the right way to phrase this. Do you have any memoir sort of icons or people whose work that you love and aspire to or, or to draw from? Yeah, absolutely. So David Rakoff was a huge, huge influence on me and his book Fraud really just sort of opened up for me what you could do with your own voice when talking about and writing about yourself um, in a way that was sardonic and self-deprecating, but not sort of self-flagellating. David Sedaris in the same way, I find him really fascinating. I find his relationship to truth really fascinating. 
and his ability to sort of build character is fascinating. And um, uh, Samantha Irby, sort of in terms of like contemporary writers, like Samantha Irby's astounding. Everything Samantha Irby writes is hilarious and so, so accessible. And so I really, really like her. And I often, I have to say, I am midway through reading uh, J.P. Brammer's new memoir, uh, Ola Papi, mm. uh, which is coming out, I think, in June or July of 2021. And it's phenomenal. And uh, so, you know, he is also, you know, he writes an advice column and he's now sort of moved into the memoir space and I'm reading it and I'm like, oh, this is, this is what I was trying to do. <laughs> he got it. He got it. <laughs> exactly. Um, I wasn't going to ask about this, but since you brought up David Sedaris, I have to. One of the things that you and David Sedaris have in common is like a maybe outsized, for me anyway, is an outsized curiosity about your spouses who are like <laughs> constant but bit characters in the background. I love that. Um, <laughs> like I loved the Hugh profile yes. in New yes. York Magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, yeah. give this yeah. to me right Tell now. Which, right. like, I've read plenty about Hugh, but not from the perspective <laughs> of anyone else. Right. And I would absolutely read a profile of your husband as well, who is, <laughs> he's a, a pastor? Yes. Is right? mm-hmm. Okay, he's in... Which is just like not until I learned it was just not what I imagined for you. I was like, oh, okay, that's not, right. you know, and and you have written a bit about also like how now he's giving sermons from home and like, mm-hmm. and this has become such a big part of your life. Are you ever having to sit down before you hit publish and be like, like, is this going to resonate with my husband's audience too? Or is this going to like... <laughs> I think that's a really good question. And I, you know, I, I would have the same question about me if I wasn't me. And like, I think <laughs> the thing is, he's given me sort of carte blanche um, and to sort of, he's like, I trust you. And I'm like, that's not a good idea when you're married to a memoirist. <laughs> um, like, I just want to like, I never remind him on a regular basis. Like, you should not trust me, but I do want to be trustworthy. And it's funny because reading the response that I get to my newsletter, to my book, I know that like, the fans are the David fans and the fans of my mother are like are legion. Um, and they're very <laughs> interested in in hearing about them. And so I also, you know, I always do try if there's a story that comes up about, you know, what we're up to here at the house or something from the past with my mom, you know, I sort of run it through the the responsibility sort of checklist in my mind, which is like, is this about is this ultimately about me? And that's sort of always a, the criteria. Am I portraying them in a, in a way that feels fair? And, you know, is the butt of the joke either something external to us or, or me? And, uh, and so I always, and if those aren't the case, then I can't write about it, which is a shame because there's some things that they do that I'm like. <laughs> I can imagine there's some where you're like, come on now. <laughs> yeah. like, you're a ridiculous person. Maybe um, that's like a special subscriber tier. You, know? <laughs> yeah, you have to pay extra for that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so we hear that you are, are moving into the TV and YA realms and we're real excited about this. Um, and so on top of writing nonfiction books and your newsletter and writing plays, you're doing this. How do you figure out what ideas are right for each of these? How do you find homes for all your ideas and figure out that they're the right ones? That's, that is, I mean, that's for me, the constant question for so long, for most of the, the majority of my career thus far, I was really only thinking through ideas as as ideas for plays and fictionalizing things in my life and putting them in, in a play space. And so it's actually been a little bit, it, it's an interesting tr- pivot trying to figure out, is this more of a cinematic idea or, or is this is this a novelistic idea? Um, and, is the, and then, you know, like the business side of, of publishing in Hollywood is like, is this a novel idea that can become a movie <laughs> or a television series? Because that's the other thing, you know, my, like I have a, like a team Can it of, be both? <laughs> right, yeah. And I have like a team of reps now who like are really like, they're the ones, I, I go to them, I'm like, I have this funny idea. And they're like, great. Well, how do we sell this six different ways? I'm like, I love that for you. And I love that for me. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I don't have like a concrete answer right now. I'm, it's really been mostly project-based. So like, you know, I was approached about my interest in writing YA and I, I, I sort of, I had been nursing a, a concept for a long time and through some conversations, we sort of shifted it. And I don't know that it's, it's something, uh, it's, it's sort of this, basically a sort of modern 
take on Ferris Bueller's Day Off, but featuring um, two Black queer kids in Baltimore City. Oh my God, um, and a man. Right. <laughs> it's like, it's a lot of fun, but I don't know that I would have, I don't, I would not have approached that cinematically at first. And like, maybe it'll become like a movie or limited series or something. Um, but I think for me, a lot of my thinking is taking sort of ideas that exist in a pop culture landscape and filtering them through and putting, putting them into another context. And so I think that's for me, um, it's, it's really more just like a lot of translation. Speaking of pop culture references, they're like so central to your talents and something that you just have like such a, a deep understanding of what, what are the ones that are your sort of like standbys? Are they changing constantly? So let's see. I think the Muppets are uh, like standbys. Nor Ephraim movies are absolutely standbys. What else am I always talking about? Like Whitney Houston, sort of, although mm. Whitney Houston sort of acted as like a central, like a, a North Star in my book, but I don't know that I'm always making Whitney references. Britney Spears, like Toxic was like a seismic thing. Like, and like, <laughs> so for like the way that some people talk about different Taylor Swift eras, I'm that way about yeah. Britney Spears. Like, and really, because she's such a fantastic outsized personality. So when, you know, she's like, she's a stewardess in the, in the one airline, in the one video, or she's a womanizer, or she burned down her gym in real life, and, <laughs> but it's fine now. I'm like, that's, this is gold. Um, so I think I do feel like I worry though, sometimes that my references, and maybe this is also a reflection of how we are becoming more and more separated in pop culture uh, in the pop culture landscape but i worry that my references aren't continuing to get updated um but i do feel like the best reference for me is something that everybody was thinking about everybody knows about yeah so, like, titanic you know yeah, yeah. well you i also think like anytime sorry a- no, just like that a reference that you've had for 20 years feels more meaningful than a reference you've had for two Right, you right, know? right, right. Yeah. Well, something that's interesting, though, that is not my observation, but I think it's right that uh, it was actually Juliette Littman, um, who does the Ringer podcast, pointed out that like we had really been losing monoculture until the mm-hmm. pandemic. And mm-hmm. now it's like we all watched Bridgerton at the same time. We all watched Tiger King at the same time. And that's like this really beautiful thing that we're getting back to that point where we can all have the same references again, because we are sort of having these moments of like, I guess this is what we're doing now. We're all doing yeah. this. Well, and there's yeah. only so much new TV. <laughs> right, right. I think right. that really helps. Like the fact that like, it's like, well, we couldn't film anything. So here's this one show, everyone. It's 1947 and you exactly. and you love it. Six episodes. <laughs> exactly. So. Exactly. <laughs> what pop culture are you consuming right now? Uh, right now, what am I? So let's see. Um, uh, we are catching up on Umbrella Academy. It came out mm-hmm. on Netflix. Haven't seen. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good. It's, it's, you know, uh, based on a comic book. Interesting. Uh, reading J.P. Brammer's book. Uh, I just read The Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Dasha Filia, which is really, really good. Um, I also, but I've been like catching up on a lot of older stuff. I watched Broadcast News the other day for the first time. Ugh. And so good. Amazing. So good. When Harry Met Sally, I'm sort of just trying to get myself in this. There's this like the the early '80s sort of rom com or relationship com, um, like James L. Brooks and Nora Ephraim, and you know, really just the two of them uh, writing about people. I, I found really, really interesting, and it like really resonates. Um, and so, in terms of endearment, and so I really wanted to like, sort of get back into that. I should say, like, I also watched Bridgerton. Um, I, I feel like some weird dad people are like what do you like you love pop culture why do you watch it and i'm like i don't know what's on the tv these days <laughs> i couldn't tell you but that's better no yeah. i don't know i mean i'm more interested in hearing that you want to watch james l brooks and Nora efron than i am in that what netflix popped t- popped up and told me to watch today you know well, i, I mean, assume netflix is telling us the same thing <laughs> I, I would hope so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no yeah i mean like I, that's well, I think there's some things that are indelible and that's really exciting. You know, when I, I, I love when, when somebody that I follow online is like, I'm, I'm watching this movie from 10 years. Anytime somebody's like, I'm watching the Pelican Brief or I'm watching Talented Mr. Ripley. I'm like, great. I have follow tweets um, because <laughs> I want to talk about it always. Yeah. And I'm always in search of that thing to add to the library of, of we'll always rewatch, you know, the mm-hmm. rewatchables is a, is a great podcast for that reason, yep. because they're, you know, 
the, it, it taps into this concept that not everything is disposable. And it does feel like so much television, so much, so many of the movies that we're seeing do feel disposable. And that frustrates me. I keep a track of all the things I watch every year and read and listen to. And I looked back over, you know, in 2020 was weird for it because like, I was like writing down movies I saw in theaters and it was like two, you know? Yeah. But then, you know, you look back and you're like, so much of this didn't matter. And that's so frustrating because right. I want it to, I want it to matter, you know? I and, and so I love when I discover something like what we do in Shadows or Steph Let's Flats, where I'm like, yeah, no, I'm going to be thinking about this for a long time. I'd never seen Gremlins and we watched it over break and I was like, wait, this is like a weirdly beautiful movie. Like <laughs> the graphics, the art direction, nobody told me. All I remember is the toy, like the little toy fur thing. And I mm-hmm. thought it was like this cheesy. That pre-Furby yeah. situation. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I was watching, I was like, oh, I had no idea. Nobody told me. And Chris was like, no, everybody told you this is a classic movie. And I was like, nobody told me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that nobody told me. He's like, no, you were went out. You're like, no, no, no. But I felt that way. Like, yeah. I, you know. I, I felt the way about, about broadcast news. I was like, yeah. I've been aware of this movie for mm-hmm. years. You know, as a child, I was like deeply into the Oscars. I was very aware that it got nominated for a bunch of stuff and didn't, didn't win anything. I love Holly Hunter. And uh, I was like, nobody told me broadcast news was great. And like a friend of mine who's like 24 years old and a big movie buff was like, what's wrong with you? You didn't watch <laughs> broadcast news? I was like, okay, um, I was busy. I was four years old. You were not even thought of. So let's all calm ourselves down here. Oh, I watched Aaron Brockovich a few months ago and yeah. had the same sort of like experience of being like, why? This is an amazing film. And it mm-hmm. wasn't, it was not on my radar as it should have been. And like, you know, as someone who read John Grisham books in sixth grade, you would think that like, this is a film I would have seen, but no, but no, here we are. Are there any topics or individuals that you're just like dying for someone to pay you to write about? And like really go in depth about. Oh man. Well, that's the good thing about having a newsletter is that like, I'm like, well, guess what, everybody? (laughs) Here's what we're doing. This week we're writing about the Muppets Take Manhattan once again. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um, No, yeah, I I definitely give myself a lot of permission. I think maybe a year ago, I was chatting with my agent about ideas for another nonfiction book. And I was like, I just want to write about people meeting each other in movies. Um, and that's all I had. And she's like, okay, we'll come back with more. I don't know what that, I don't know what that is. And I was like, you know, like you've got mail and whatever. And I think really what I wanted to write about was you've got mail. And I really yeah. wanted to write about, and I got to do it a little bit. I got to rewatch movies and write about them through the lens of quarantine um, mm. for Elle. And that was a really fun experience. And I think I'd like to expand on that. I think there is, I don't know what the nugget of the, of the idea is, but I think, there was something about the magic of connection in movies that I would really, really love to write about that I don't feel like, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm still reaching for it yeah. because it's, there's so many movies that you like, you're like, oh yeah, we met each other, blah, blah, blah. But like, I'm like, no, like what? There is something, sometimes a movie doesn't really care about people meeting. And sometimes people, like the whole movie is just like, are, are we meeting? This is astounding. Well, it's so funny that you said you've got mail because I immediately went to When Harry Met Sally and mm-hmm. that their meeting scene is like so good and so iconic and I could watch And they're like so three meeting over. scenes. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah true, true. But I always think of the one on the campus when they're getting in the car and then mm. they drive away, which it's a college, we went to the University of Chicago, which is the campus it was filmed on and a college professor at some point pointed out to me that in the film, they're driving the wrong way, like to New York. <laughs> like they're driving the like way down the highway. <laughs> I always think about such a college professor. No. Right. Oh, good. Thank you. It yep. was... <laughs> All right. Final question. What's been getting you through the last year? <laughs> <laughs> Slash, have you been getting through it? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, uh, you know, I'm going to look back and be like, oh, I, it was like, I feel like this year for me, maybe this is, maybe this is too macabre. It feels like the others, you know, where that Nicole Kidman, movie or Sixth Sense where you look back and you're like, oh, oh my goodness. I didn't realize that like everything I had, I had the wrong impression of everything. And I was all my really preconceived alive, notions you know? were wrong. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think getting, I don't know the, 
wine, <laughs> to be completely <laughs> honest. Like wine has really gotten me through, um, which is not a great, great answer. And I feel irresponsible for saying it. I have been deeply in search of books that would um, take me to someplace different. I wasn't really, I couldn't get into escapist fair, unfortunately. And one of the things that people write to me sometimes, it's like, oh, your book was a great sort of way of escaping. And I really like, I'm really, really grateful for that. But I had the sort of opposite experience. The first book I read this year, I was a judge for the um, Audio Awards, the Audiobook Awards. Mm. And so we listened to the, the best book of the year nominees. And it was Charlotte's Web Becoming um, the Dutch House by Ann Patchett. Oh, oh, um, the new Margaret Atwood book and The Only Plane in, Plane in the Sky, The Oral History of 9-11. Um, Perfect, yeah. <laughs> so those are the books that sort of heralded me into this year. Mm. And so I spent the year sort of bouncing through recommendations, um, particularly for books, but also for like TV shows that would just capture my brain in such a way that would uh, like let me shut off for a second. So that's a really long way of saying like, uh, Veep has been super important to me. Uh, what We Do in Shadows has been super mm. important. It's an, a hilarious show. There is uh, the the last book I read last year was called Office of Historical Corrections by... Um, oh, yeah. yeah I yeah, haven't yeah. read it, but I've heard really good things. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's astounding. You know, and Daniel Evans, she's here in Baltimore uh, and we, uh, with me. Well, not with me. We're like, yeah, she's right here. Here's Daniel <laughs> Evans. Um, but that was the book I was looking for. It was something that didn't ignore the facts of the world, but it also allowed my brain to travel to someplace else. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. Oh, Nothing to See You Here also by oh, Kevin so Wilson. Good. So, so great. good. So, Love. so great. Yeah. Thank you. This has been the dream that I think we both imagined it would be. <laughs> oh, yeah. This was <laughs> so fun. Everything. Yeah, this was um, wonderful. We've been really looking forward to this, Eric. Thank you so much yeah. for your time. We loved it. Um, oh, thank yay. you for doing everything you do. Yeah. Thank you. That's the show. This has been a production of Dear Media. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, and Spotify. If you have ideas for the show or want to advertise, email podcast at claireandericka.com. Hold up. 